0: Thank you. We're kind of spread out. It would be weird if I asked everyone kind of just to scoot up and let's kind of get. We're gonna be a little different today, a little bit, a little bit closer, and stuff. Just no, you're good. <laughs> he was gonna come all the way up here. Right, you can sit right here, buddy, right here, because then I can keep an eye on you and stuff. But, I don't know we are. Um, we're a small group this morning, and that's okay, um, because our, our goal and our, our thought is that as long as two or more are gathered, Christ is there also, so as long as there's two or more here, then we have church, and so I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, I'm excited about this message series, and if you've been around for like the last few months, maybe six months or even a year, and so if you know, my heart has been, what is the church really supposed to be? Um, What what are we supposed to be as followers of Christ and and, and what that looks like? And and so this has kind of been my passion this whole year um, because I believe there's a big difference between us calling ourselves Christians and being truly disciples, and that's really what I want to talk about this morning. And so I may stop and ask you, what do you think? Um, Because we are a small group, and we we can have a little bit more discussion in that, and you can stop me and say, wait a minute, Pastor, what about that? So it's open game tonight, this morning, so... No, I'm, bring it, bring it, because uh, let's do a little bit different, because I want us to understand this. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to um, Matthew chapter four. And we're going to be looking at verse uh, 18 through 22. And the whole idea is this is on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prayer when he taught us to pray. You know, we, we pray that, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so hopefully this morning we're going to get a good glimpse of that. And as always and forever, again, these are the only words that matter. They, they really are. Um, there have been a plethora of great theologians, great thinkers, and none of their words match these words. The, these are the ones that change hearts and change lives. And so I'm going to ask would just with me in acknowledge with that. If you'll just stand with me as we read in Matthew 4, starting at verse 18. It says this, and he was walking along the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you that you knew everyone that would be here this morning. God, you know exactly what needs to be done, what needs to be said, what needs to be dealt with. And so, Father, we just ask that you have your way this morning as we open up your word and we discuss this idea. God, I pray that you would burn a passion in us for, for our community, for our world, for the people around us, God, that, that you would bring to mind names of people, God, that we, God, that we just wouldn't be able to sit around. Now we would have to do something to live this out, this calling. God, I pray that you would just speak and that we would have ears to hear, that we would have hearts to respond and the courage to live it out. God, that these would be your words, not mine. God, that revival would break out in this church and in every church this morning, God. And because of that, uh, there would be an awakening of people who don't know you. God, we pray for this time. We pray for your power, for your presence to overwhelm us, for you to change us, and may you get all the glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, this is kind of a passion of mine, and so I may go off camera for those of you that are going to like live stream or see this. There may be a moment where I actually walk down and ask a question and stuff. I don't know. I have no idea. But man, this is so important about you know, the people around us of uh, being a church and you know, why we are a church. And so the first thing I want you guys to think of and just ask yourself, just right off the bat, what comes to mind when I say the word Christian? Now, just think about it for a moment. Let, let's try to get some juices flowing first. Let, let, let's do a little prep, a little mind exercise. So just think about the first thing that pops your mind when you hear... Um, I don't know, a Trump follower, a Trump believer, you know, a guy, that, uh, someone that supports Trump or, or, or someone that supports, I don't know, who's, who's all, there's like so many of them running now that are going to be running. I don't know, just a Joe Biden. What, what's the first thing that pops in your head? What, what's the first thing that pops in your head when you think of someone that's like, I'm a CrossFit trainer or I'm a CrossFit, I'm, I'm a, I'm a gemaholic. What, what about, what about um, a successful business person? Is it starting to flow a little bit? So let me ask you, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think Christian? Now, for some people, it's going to be simple. It's going to be like, well, you know, there was a moment in my life where I prayed a prayer, or I walked an aisle, and I became a Christian. And that's kind of all they think about. Th- there are some that think like, um, well, I w- grew up in a Christian home. You know, I've gone to church my whole life because, of course, I'm a Christian. There's some people that actually think, well, I'm American, so I'm a Christian. Th- there's some people, unfortunately, that think that, and I've heard this before. I don't know if you have, but, oh, Christians, they're judgmental. They're homophobic. Um, they're believing everybody else is going to hell, and they secretly think that that's okay. Those are all different views of Christian, but just a little Trivia for you. Did you know the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament? The word disciple was used two hundred and eighty one times. And I believe with all my heart that there is a bunch of people that claim to be a Christian, but they're not a disciple. And we are called to be disciples. In fact, that's what, that's what the Bible calls us. In fact, Acts eleven twenty six it, it says that. It says, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Speaking of Paul, for a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Do you understand that that term Christian, they didn't claim that name in the early church. They didn't claim it a lot in the New Testament because it's actually an insult. They're like, oh, it's like a little Christ, a little person that wants to be just like Jesus to go die and be a martyr and stuff like that. The truth is, is everywhere in the New Testament, 281 times they are called disciples. We are called and supposed to be disciples. And so what does that look like? What does it mean to be a disciple? Just a little background here. Let's go back over to Matthew 4. If you've been around church, y'all, you know this is the calling of the first disciples, the first ones to follow Jesus. And, and, and he's talking about, you know, he's walking around, he's seeing these people. And so let me, let me give you a little history lesson, a little, little um, culture, cultural lesson about what was going on in the culture at that time. For all Jewish boys, sorry ladies, but for Jewish boys, up when they, at five years old, they started going to a thing called Torah school. Torah is the first five books of the Bible. You know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That that it, that's the law, and that's all stuff. And so, from age five, they went to this school and they started memorizing large swaths of like the Old Testament. And I'm thinking some of them memorized the entire thing; those first five books. But they would start learning about the law, and then about at age ten, they were tested. And those that had a desire and had the acumen. That they had memorized so much scripture. They got to move on. At age 10 if you just like memorize like I remember um, in the beginning God created. Okay great job. You're going home now. And they would go back to their homes. And they'd go meet up with their fathers. And they'd start learning the trade that they would go on to. They'd start apprenticing back then. So at age 10 your future was pretty much decided back then. Now let's say you start studying, if, if you moved on, you start studying the rest of the Old Testament, all the prophets, all the poetry and everything, and, and, you, and you just grew because you wanted to be in kind of a religious occupation. You wanted to be a religious ruler, and so if you excelled at age 17, if you excelled and you were the cream of the crop, maybe like the top 10%, you would actually go and find a rabbi, and all the word rabbi means is teacher. And the rabbi, you would go find him, and you would apply to be a disciple of the rabbi. And basically what would happen is if you found a rabbi that you really, really liked, and you thought very highly of, you would go and sit down at their feet. And that was you applying. There wasn't any online stuff. There wasn't any background checks. You just kind of sat down in front of this rabbi and plopped yourself down. And so the rabbi would look down, and he would start questioning you. About the entire Old Testament over and over and over again. And if he felt worthy, that you were worthy, he would choose you as the best of the best to come and be one of his disciples. And what the rabbi was looking for, for a disciple, was someone that could be exactly like him. They didn't take chances if there was like "Eh, pretty good here. No, it had to be the best of best because this person, whoever would be a disciple after the years of training, would end up being exactly like the rabbi. And that's what he was looking for. And so for years, this young disciple would follow this rabbi everywhere he go, imitating everything that he did. And the disciple's goal was to be just like the rabbi. It was a huge deal. Now, I know today if you ask people what you want to be when you grow up, some people might say, I want to be a rock star, if you ask a kid, or I want to be a fireman, or I want to be a successful business person. For a young Jewish boy, the rock star of the time was to be one of these religious leaders, these rabbis. It was every boy's dream. It was every family's dream. There was nothing more honorable than this, than for you to become a young rabbi. And in the rabbi sect, there were some... Even more special rabbis, very, very few. And it's a great Hebrew word, it's called smicha. Not a nice word to say that, smicha. It's fun to say, isn't it? Smicha, all that word means in Hebrew is authority. And there were a very set few rabbis that were called a smicha rabbi, a teacher with authority. And the only way you could get that title is one you had to be approved by two other rabbis. You had to have done some miracles or something that only God could do. But there had to be a witness to this thing. Isn't it funny that all we read in the New Testament, every time Jesus teaches, what are the people always astonished by? His authority. Who is this man? Because what these rabbis were able to do, is they would take what we've always interpreted or what they've always interpreted and say, "No, here's a different way to look at it." And you have to understand this is a huge deal before because the Jewish culture, we they liked everything the way it was. They were people that were against change. They did not like change. You're like, this is the way I've always been taught. That's the way. That's the pew I've always sat in. They, they were very good Baptists for Jewish people. <laughs> we like it the way it's always been. And stuff and so when a new rabbi that would be the smitcher rabbi would come in and give kind of a new interpretation, it would blow them away. And over and again, as Jesus over and over again, as Jesus taught, you got this idea of like how's where does he get this authority? Who call, who made you smitcher? The very interesting fact is right before Jesus does this, this call, this passage we read, if you know the story, what did he do? He went and saw John the Baptist who's considered the rabbi rabbi at that time a great teacher and what did john say about him in front of all the people here comes someone that i'm not even worthy to lace up his sandals that is greater than me and what happened when the baptism happened who else gave him authority god himself spoke and said this is my son whom i am well pleased You want to talk about, like, you you have a resume, you want to put, like, the top person, it'd be like me putting God and Billy Graham on my resume. Just ask them. They'll tell you what I am. (laughs) I mean, that was this idea of being a disciple. And the truth is, I think that scares us a little. See, because being a Christian is easy. We've made it a title. We've made it a shirt we wear. we made it a congregation we go to or some ornament. Being a Christian or some concert, some group that we can kind of loosely join and be affiliated with. But being a disciple is totally different. And as I said in the beginning, I believe there's a lot of people that say I'm a Christian, but they are not disciples. And you and I are called to be disciples. That's what this is about. So so what does it mean to be A disciple. What does it actually look like? And I think we can find a lot in this passage right here. So so open your Bibles back up to Matthew and so and look at the very beginning. Verse 18, as he was walking along the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net in the sea for they are fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I'll make you fish for people. And then verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. What, what's going on here? Remember the little cultural lesson I gave you right here? What are these guys doing? You can talk back. It may even pick you up. What, they're fishing. They're doing the father's business. They're, they, they, they are, they've already been passed over. We don't know if they made it past Torah school. So from 10 years, 10 years old on, man, they were probably fishermen, and they were learning from their father and everything. And so the very first thing I want you to know is Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. Isn't that good news? Jesus doesn't look for the cream of the crop, the most intelligent, the most wealthy, the most powerful, the most, the most able to speak. The deepest thinker. He doesn't look for that. He doesn't choose the very best. He chooses the willing. Jesus chose the B team. (laughs) Think about that. These guys had already been passed over. And actually, you know, when I first read this, the very first time I ever read this, I was like, man, it just meant maybe it was his voice. Jesus's voice when he said, follow me. And like the Holy Spirit flowed out of his mouth. And they're like, oh, we must go. I don't. I mean, it just seems really, really odd, but the truth is he's choosing the ones that are willing. That's all we have to be to start off with. I don't know how many people I've talked about says, yeah, I'm going to do that faith thing. You know, once there's some things I got to straighten out, you know, or maybe like I don't want to go to Bible college. And take Old Testament survey like five times over and over and over again. And, and take Greek and Hebrew. I avoided Hebrew, by the way, because it's like backwards. I got Greek, and that was enough. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do all that. I I, just, I, don't, I don't I don't have any charisma. No one likes me. Nothing to do what we offer. It has everything what Christ wants to do through us. And we just have to be willing. In, in fact, I, I love this. Um. John MacArthur he put it kind of this way he said God skipped all the wise of the day the great scholars were in Egypt the great library was in Alexandria the great philosophers were in Athens the powerful were in Rome he passed over Herodotus the historian and Socrates the great thinker and Julius Caesar he chose men so ordinary it was comical no rabbis no teachers no religious experts He chose the B team. And to be a disciple, it starts with us just being willing to begin with. The other thing I want us to see this morning is not only that he chooses a B team, but he's the one that chooses us. We don't choose him. The Corinthians, Paul put it this way. He says that the message of the cross is like foolishness to those who are perishing. This faith makes absolutely no sense to most people. This faith that we live out in this being a disciple. I mean, followers of Jesus doesn't make any sense to us on a day to day basis. Think about it. I'm just I'm going to surrender all. I don't have to clean myself up. I don't have to do anything for it. Christ does it all. And I'm just going to I'm just going to go. Who do you know that's looking for that? In fact, look at these guys. We we go back. They weren't even looking for a rabbi. What were they doing? They were fishing. They'd given up. They weren't they weren't out looking for a rabbi to sit at his feet and be questioned. They were done. They were doing their 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 family business. They they were stuck and they figured that's all they would be. They weren't even looking John put it this way in John 15. Jesus said, you do not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. We don't choose Jesus. He chooses us. That's why Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the father draws them. This is why I always tell you when I challenge you and say, "Hey, go tell the story. Go share the gospel. Go do all this." There's no pressure on you because you're not doing anything except just being obedient and telling the story. It is that God and the Holy Spirit that does all the changing and the drawing and stuff. All we do is plant a little seed. That's all we have to do. We are not we don't choose him. He chooses us and for some of us that are thinking I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give. He chooses us. We don't have to go groveling to him. And that is great, great news. So. He chooses the willing. He chooses us. But what we need to know is that choosing, that primary calling is to be with him, by the way. It's not what you can do for him. It's not how well you can speak for him or or be a missionary or do any of those things. That primary calling is just for us to be with him. What does he say to the disciples, these first ones? Verse 19, follow me. I'll make you fish for people. Follow me. That's 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 all it was. All he always was saying it basically says, "Hey Peter, Andrew, John, hey guys, come be like me." That's the primary calling. It's not, hey, I need you, you're going to go, and you're going to go speak in the synagogues, and you're going to go and speak here, and you're going to go do this and go do that. All it was was like, come be like me. That's all Jesus is calling us to do, is to be like him. To know more about him, to grow more like him. You know, I've said this before. If you can look at your life today and say, I am no more like Jesus than I was a year ago. There is a serious problem. Every day, every week, every month, every year, we should be coming more and more like Jesus. By the way, that's the goal. The goal of Christianity is not to build huge mega churches the goal of this being a disciple is not, is not not, to travel all the world and plant churches all the world. The goal, of, the goal of being a disciple is not to get to heaven one day. The goal of being a disciple is to become just like Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to become like that. It's, it's not all this stuff. And, and how do we do that? I mean, we can't sit at his feet and listen to his teaching, can we? Oh, wait a minute. Yes, we can. This word needs to dominate you. Everything we need to know about Jesus, everything we need to know to be like him, to live for him and stuff is in this word. And can I tell you something? Once a week on a Sunday morning ain't enough. Those are Christians, not disciples disciples want to be just like their rabbi in fact that was like the compliment back then was like wow you have the dust of your rabbi on you and that wasn't saying hey you need to take a bath <laughs> you're kind of dirty that means that everything the disciple or the rabbi stepped in and spit up that it covered you you were so close to your rabbi that it just everything that he stepped in covered you that's being a disciple and how do we do that man we get into his word and on Sunday morning, just once on Sunday morning, it's not enough. You, gotta, you have to have a private devotion time. You have to have time every day sometime where you're sitting there and you're reading God's word. And I understand. It's a discipline. It, it's hard. We don't do disciplines too much. We are, in a, we are in a free society. I can do whatever I want. Don't tell me how to live. All that stuff. I, I, mean, we, I, can do, I don't have to read the Bible every single day to be a Christian. and, and to, uh, I'm sorry. Yes, you do. If you want to become more like Jesus, you've got to be in this Word. You've you got to be involved in a home group. That's why we offer those home groups for a chance to get deeper in, to, to, to just continue to grow, just to continue to be bathed in His Word. You know, that's why we do everything. That's why we send out devotionals, and that's why we hand out things. Any, any tool that we can do to give you to grow more like Him. then if you truly, truly want to be a disciple, you, you would be there. One of my biggest pet peeves, and it's a sermon for a different day, is that we've made everything else a priority other than church. Of the gathering of people, the ecclesia. Not the kirche, not the building, but the gathering of God's people, the set-apart ones to worship together. I guarantee you, if you go out here right now and drive down the road, you're going to see fields full of kids playing soccer. We, we set up excuses all the time, of like, well, I've got this and I, I've got that. And, you know, I worked late. I did this. And I understand. I'm not, I'm not. Listen, I'm in the same shoes you are. I'm exhausted. I've been working swings all week. Friday night, I spent all night chasing high schoolers going, You here for grad bash? Good. Go. Get out of City Walk. You're not allowed to be in here. And dealing with all kinds of people. I'm tired. I understand this. I'm a pastor. And honestly, even this church grows. Sherry and I have talked about it. This church grows to the point where there's plenty of funds and all this stuff. I don't know if I'll give up my job at Universal because I love being able to stand up to you and say, You need to share the gospel in your workplace. You know why? Because I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take away your excuses. But we have to make his word a priority. It has to dominate us. It has to define us. That's why I start the service and I start my message every time saying this is the only authority. And if you truly want to be disciples, then man, we need to be hungry to gather with his people and to open up his word. As often as we can. Because we're called to be like him. Next. When I just called to be with him. But to follow, we may have to leave all. Look at what happens here. He says, follow me, in verse 19, he told them, and I'll make you fish for men. What happens in verse 20? What's that first word in verse 20? Someone yell it out. Yeah, It doesn't say like, okay, well, they talked over, they made a committee, they prayed about it, and felt if, see if they felt led. It says immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. What's that word? Immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. Listen, the truth is, is that if we're going to be honest and we're going to be true about being a disciple, it may mean that we have to leave some things. It may mean we may have to leave some careers and leave our nets. It may mean we may have to leave some significant relationships to be his disciple. It's not the norm. I I don't think generally you guys are going to have to pack up and move right now. In fact, I hope you don't because I like seeing you. We're kind of low in numbers. We're getting down to that two point. And so it's nice when we have more than three or four. But the truth is, is we may to follow. We may have to leave something else. Listen, I, I don't know if you heard the stories. Um, one of the places that God is moving in like miraculous ways is the Middle East in the Arab countries. I mean, people are having dreams. People are having Jesus is reaching people in, in droves in the Middle East. And I, I've heard stories about, um, I heard a story this past week about a young girl that, um, that she met Christ, and, man, it changed her life. She accepted it. And she went home, and she told her father, and her father and her brother sat her down and said, you, you deny that faith right now. And she said, I can't. I can't deny it. It's too real. So they locked her in her room, and she heard them talking. Her brother and her father saying, we're going to have to kill her tonight. Something happened, some emergency happened. I don't believe any coincidences, but a niece or somebody went into labor and the family had to leave, left her locked in the room and she saw her chance. She escaped, went to the missionary that led her to Christ. They got her to the United States. I think she's still waiting for her status to get for safety to be able to stay. She had to leave everything. Now, I'm not saying, I don't believe anybody in here, you're going to have to leave your family and stuff. But I'm going to say that to follow Jesus, we are going to have to leave something we may have to leave all. The fact is, does Jesus take precedence in your life over everything else? That's the mark of a disciple. Does Jesus take precedence over your job? I don't know if you know this, I applied at Disney before I applied at Universal. Because I worked at Disney before, so I could take those years and kind of add it to my time. And I said, listen, I'll work for you six days a week. Any shift, I don't care. I just cannot work on Sundays. We can't do that. I'm like, I'll work for you six days a week. Any shift in security. I just can't work Sundays. Well, you know, we have unions. We have all this. We can, you know, well, maybe you can put in for a religious exception. So I did. And we talked on the phone. And after about an hour and a half of just talking to him going around in circles, I realized I'm not going to do this. And we needed the income. So I applied at Universal. I went into my interview. The guy I interviewed is one of my friends right now. He's one of my managers. And I sat down. And I said, hey, before we get started, I can work any shift. I cannot work Sundays. Okay, we're good. This past Easter, I put in three weeks ago to be off Good Friday. Because I was like, my church kind of expects me there to, like, preach. <laughs> so it might be good that I'm off, but they didn't give it to me off. Went and talked to the manager says, hey, I don't, I don't know what's going on. What do I need to do? He's like, oh, pastor, you're good. If they would have said no, I wouldn't be working. I don't know where I'd be working right now. Does Jesus take precedence over everything? Does Jesus take precedence over your family? Does Jesus take precedence over everything? Because to be a disciple, we may have to leave all. One thing you know about me if you've been around is I don't sugarcoat this stuff. These guys left Everything the income, the families, everything. And by the way, it cost them. All of the disciples were martyred except one, and that was John, and he was just boiled in oil. <laughs> and then left on an island to die. Alone. I'm uh, hoping that it's it's not going to be that, but... but We have to understand that that's what it means to be a disciple, not just a Christian, a disciple. Finally, last part of being a disciple. Is we are commanded to spiritually reproduce. We are commanded to spiritually reproduce. Look what he says. He says, all right, follow me and I will make you fish for people. I like that little turn of the phrase Jesus said he was he was masterful at that. Hey, you're, you're catching fish? Awesome. You're already a fisherman? I'm going to make you fisher of men. This is why I pray every week saying, God, give me a boat. You've called me to be a fisher of men. You know how much ministry I could do? If I could take guys out, we're stuck in the middle of a lake. They've got to hear the gospel. It's a ministry tool. It hasn't happened yet. I'm still praying. But, I mean, we, you fish and stuff, but we are called to spiritually reproduce. We are not called to come down some aisle, pray some prayer, and then go sit in a chair or sit in a pew and do nothing else with our faith. Nothing else with our faith. And, by the way, it's not for just a few That person has the gift of evangelism. That's why they should do it, and I shouldn't. I had someone sitting in this church months and months, years ago, when we first started, we did a course on evangelism, like what what it looks like, how are some tools to do that. And they looked me square in the face, and they said, it's the pastor's job to do that. (coughs) I said, you're not going to be very comfortable here. (laughs) And they weren't, and they're not. Because it's not for the few, it's for all of us. We are all called to reproduce. If we are going to be just like our our rabbi, this is why Jesus came. He says, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. How do we prove that we're disciples? We bear fruit. How does the church prove that it's the church? It bears fruit. How do people prove that they're followers of Jesus? Disciples, they bear fruit. There are things that happen, lives that are changed. What's that fruit? It's very, very simple. Jesus told us in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, twenty. he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I've read that over and over again. And this past week, I dug a little bit deeper into that. What do you think the verb is in those verses? Here, let me me go back to it. What's the verb in that verse? Hmm? Go, make, close, close. It's really funny. You know, I found out, and I should have known this. The words go, baptize, and teach are actually participles in the Greek. The f- The verb is make disciples. Everything, all that other stuff, the going, the teaching, the baptizing, all derive their force from make disciples disciples that's what we're called to do as we are making disciples we are we are baptizing them we are teaching we are helping them grow but the goal is to make disciples and how do we make disciples it starts with the gospel see that's the problem in our church culture we've made discipleship and evangelism two separate things and they're not It's two sides of the same coin. We make disciples by sharing the gospel. By seeing lives transformed by the Holy Spirit and God drawing them. And then we keep teaching them and we baptize them and they keep growing and they go make disciples. But it's always about making disciples. We are called to go and spiritually reduce. All we do comes out of that call. Everything this church should ever do, everything we should do as a people, as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, should be coming out of that call to make other disciples. Every sermon should have an aspect of that. Every every outreach we do, everything that we do should have some kind of aspect of that. Calling to make disciples disciples. In Luke 19, Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. I came to seek and save the lost. And so if our rabbi lived his life and defined his life that way, that from the moment he was born, the purpose of his birth, his life, his teaching, everything that happened in those years was to seek and save the lost. And we are disciples of his. Shouldn't that be our life as well? I love Francis Chan puts it this way. So many people call themselves followers of Jesus, but so few of them look anything like him. Man, we are are called to do this. Why? Because our rabbi, our rabbi, our smicha rabbi did it. See, the problem is, is, is that I don't think we stop trusting Jesus. I think we stop trusting in what he can do through us. You know the story of Peter? They're in the boat, storm was kind of rocking it, and Jesus comes strolling up on the water, kind of freaky, kind of intense. Here's Jesus, there's storm, he's walking on the water. All the other disciples are like, It's a ghost. Oh my goodness. Ah, you know, they're all whining, and Peter's like, Jesus, that you? If it's you, tell me to come out to you. Tell me to walk on water. What did Peter do? He got out of the boat. He started walking on water. So many times we look at that passage and we say, look, but he failed. He sank. Well, there were 11 other guys that didn't even get out of the boat. At least Peter got out of the boat because he saw his rabbi doing something. He's like, if that's my rabbi, my smitcher rabbi, I can do it too. Did Peter lose faith in Jesus and start sinking? Or did he lose faith in what Jesus could do through him? That's what happened. We lose faith in what Christ can do through us. We talked about this in Easter. Easter the, power of the, re- the power that resurrected Christ is the power that dwells in us. What could be impossible for us? What could be impossible for us? If we just trust not only Jesus, but what he can do through us. I love this. Robert Coleman. He wrote a plan of evangelism, this great book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. And he put this down. He says, well, when will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, but someone It's not a class, it's not an event, it's you and it's me. That's his plan. When will we learn the lesson? God's plan for discipleship is not something, but it is someone. So my question for us this morning is who's your one? There are literally thousands of people moving into this community. Thousands upon thousands. I can give you the statistics. Within five miles of this building where we're meeting the 20 or so of us that are in this, this little gathering. There are 30,000 people. Within 10 miles, there are 100,000 people. That seems like such a big number. And it is a big number. I don't care about the tens of thousands or the hundreds of thousands. What I care about is the one. Who's your one? Who's that one person that you can go and share that you would put on? And that's what these little bookmarks are. They're right there. There's a little card. And I don't want them. This is for you. Who's your one? Put a name down. Put a name down on there and, and say, God, this is my one. This is the one I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray that, God, you give me opportunities to speak, to share, to live, to serve, to whatever will reveal your glory, your grace, your power to this person that it will transform your life. This is my one. And over the next 30 days, I'm going to ask you, you just pray. And you look for opportunities to speak. Um, in your chairs also, there's a devotional. And we're taking this so serious that over the next 30 days, we're going to preach about it. And in our home groups, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to pray for each other's ones. We're going to pray for that you find that. And so there is a reading in there every single day. And I want our home groups that they go over those. And just a discussion. There's enough one per family or we'll get more if we need more. But grab one of those books. But grab this little bookmark. In there, there are Bible verses that I think they match in the devotions that you can sit there and there's a, it's a prayer journal like who am I praying for and, and write it out for the next three days. I challenge you, I beg you, I plead with you, figure out who your one is. Because what happens if every single one of us have one, and as we're discipling, they find one. See, I think the church needs to stop in addition and we need to get to multiplication. It's our whole theme of this year. God, one more. God, just give me one more person. One more person that I can reach for your glory. One more person I can share and see that their life's changed. I want to tell you the greatest sign, the greatest discipleship plan that I have ever seen in 30 years of ministry. Is people sharing the gospel and seeing God change your life? It's not a it's not a Bible study plan, it's not a it's not a memorization plan. It is seeing God do you believing that God will do what he said he would do through you. That he will finish the work through you, that in someone else's life. It is the thing that will firm up our faith more than anything else. And so again, this morning I'm asking you, whose You're one. They're coming. There's a ton of them coming. We used to have a saying when we started our ministry. And I haven't thought about it till today. We would have to raise support because we lived overseas and we were missionaries and so we would have to send out newsletters and, and beg people for money all this time. and A very humbling thing, by the way. <laughs> but we would always put a tagline on our thing. One, W-O-N, by one. God's discipleship plan, God's evangelism plan, God's plan to change and redeem this world is one at a time. Through you, through me. So I ask you this morning who's your one? And are you truly a disciple? Because if you aren't, none of this is going to matter. I'm not telling you that you have to go out and no longer say, I'm a Christian. I'm just saying, let's, put, let's bring the definition back to it. We are disciples becoming just like our rabbi let's pray